He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. And creating something new is hard. That there is like inertia in the world, that it is the world wants things to be the way they've been, right? And so it's really hard to actually create something. And yet it's very satisfying. And you can make those decisions about how do we treat people? How do we create ourselves? How do we present ourselves in the world? How, what it would it be like to be a customer of this product service? Again, like you were saying, it doesn't have to be tech. You don't have to be a coder. You don't have to be X, Y, and Z. And I think demystifying it and making it real and that it can be like you can have, you can build a coffee shop, you can build a consumer good, you can have a consulting business, you can have all of these different things and just letting, I would say giving clear examples of what that can be. And I would say, yeah, just the support on that as opposed to those kind of more general supportive terms. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, Nathan, we are on our first segment of Minute with Minute, where I'll ask you one question and you have 60 seconds to give us an explanation, a little bit more information about Minute, the company, the product, all the above. So you're ready to rock and roll with number one? I'm ready. All right. What makes Minute privacy safe? Mm, Good question. So from the very beginning of Minute, we knew that privacy would be a concern. Uh, not only for guests, but also for homeowners and property managers. So it was one of the first things that we tackled as a company. How will we handle privacy? So we made the decision early on to never record any conversation that takes place. So rather than send conversation data to our own servers to process for things like sound level, decibel level, we actually process everything on the device itself so that the only thing that's sent to us would be the level of the sound and nothing about the recorded conversation. So unlike some of the devices that you may have in your home, smart devices that you use each day, uh, we're not sending that data to a server to then process and, and send back a response. So guests and owners alike can rest assured that no recording is ever taken of any sound and that everything is completely privacy safe. I love it. You heard it here first, folks. A minute with minute. And now back to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And I am excited because as I've shared with my guest today before, I actually knew of her company before I knew of her. So I'm excited because now I get to see the name behind the brand or the face behind the brand. And so, Rena, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today and hear more of your story, but on a public platform. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to chat today, Will. Of course. Well, you and I got to do a pre-chat. As all of the listeners know, I kind of do a conversation before the conversation. And I got to hear just the journey you've been on leading up into what you have built today with Boutique. And so kind of 
walk us through the early days. What, what was your journey like leading into this thing that we call short-term rentals and hospitality and all the stuff in between? Yeah. So it goes back and it really, it wasn't this intentional, I'm going to start a business in the short-term rental hospitality real estate industry. That was not it at all. That we kind of, we backed into it just by a side hustle, this side project that we were doing. So it was when I got into business school. So suddenly we were down a salary. I was no longer making money. I was costing money and we had just bought a house. And so we're like, okay, what do we do? Let's try to put it up for rent. And the goal there was really just to stem the bleed, so to speak, try not to lose too much money because we had a perspective that has held true that Austin real estate prices were going to go up. And so we wanted to hold it and rentals would make that possible for our family. And so it was really just that opportunity. And from the very beginning, we had a perspective of, okay, imagine that it's us in the house. Imagine that it's our friends, our family. What would we want them to experience? How do we want it set up? And so we wanted to indulge the guests. We wanted to make it as well-stocked, as nice as we could. And that is not necessarily how everyone approaches the industry. And so we found pretty immediately there was really good traction and feedback from guests. And they loved it. And I loved hearing why they were staying and kind of getting to know people. And kind of the business took off from there. But it wasn't, it was never our intention to start a business. Rather, it was something that we were already doing that people were asking us to help them. And I think that's kind of a cool way for something to come into existence. It can be either. Businesses are started on all sorts of manners, but I like that for boutique. For you guys, it just sounds like it was a natural, like it wasn't a fine product market fit. The product market fit kind of found you. And yes. you guys were like, oh, yeah. That's it. And sense. I think... For me, it was about being open to that opportunity because mm. if I had held myself to the standard of this is what I went to school for and this is what I tell people I do and this is what I always envisioned for myself, if I held myself very strictly to those paths and those definitions of myself or success, I wouldn't have done it, right? I would say, well, that's not an industry I've studied. It's not something that I have that background, but instead I was like, okay, this is interesting and I actually really like it. And hey, we happen to be good at it. Okay, let's keep doing it. Let's keep exploring. I think kind of that keeping that open mind, that really helped because, I mean, obviously I love it and I would never be doing it if I had kind of that straight line path of thinking what I originally set out to do is 100% what I was going to do. I love that. Open-mindedness is... Talked about a lot, maybe not executed as often. So, yes. Yeah. That's very, right, 100%. Very, yeah, very interesting. And I'm curious, so when you started this as a side hustle, what year was this? Kind of what gave us some a time frame of kind of what the ecosystem, especially as, like you said, you're like trying to stop the bleed, just not cost as much money and just find a way to, to kind of supplement that income a little bit. That's right. Yeah. So it's a little while ago. So 2015 approximately. And that was kind of me going second year business school. And it was really, I would say the early days of the industry, obviously, you know, Airbnb had been created pre-Robo HomeAway at the time, an er the earliest player on the scene. But I would say at that point, there were still a lot of people who had never heard of short-term rentals. Or if you said, I'm going to put my place up on Airbnb, they'd say, oh my goodness, like, 
aren't you concerned? Like, who's going to be staying there? Are they going to take care of your place? There were a lot of concerns because we've seen now more professionalization. There's still a lot more professionalization to come, more standardization to come. But it was kind of like the Wild West in terms of what what does Airbnb do for you? What does HomeAway do for you? Like, are they taking your pictures? Are you taking your pictures? I remember Airbnb would send a photographer at that time to take pictures of your home. Yeah. And then what do guests expect versus what they expect today? How does this all work? And so I think everyone was trying to figure it out at that time. And yet it was such an exciting area of accommodations of travel and obviously not the very beginning, but there was a lot of room for things to grow. And I think we're still kind of in that. Like, I don't feel like things are set in stone. I don't think the big players, I don't think the traveler expectations, the standards, the way that everything happens, the policies, I don't think they're set in stone at all. I actually think there's going to be quite a bit of evolution because people love it. There are issues and the issues can be solved. So I think we're going to see attempts at those solutions. I totally agree. And there's so many different aspects of that. I think one of the examples, not to like jump super far ahead, but I want to come back to obviously growing the business and having all this other stuff. But one of the things was, I think in 2017, maybe a little bit later, 2018, 19, that apartment buildings or multifamily buildings started realizing, hey, we can lease these units to tenants. The tenants can then list it on Airbnb they could supplement their rent or at least cover most of their costs and life is great. So these companies, they partner with Airbnb, they do it and it failed miserably before Mm -hmm. even COVID happened because of lack of standardization. They were dependent on these, no, nothing against 20 something year olds, but these 20 something year olds who are just like are money hungry and wanting to make something and going through college or about to get married, whatever their life stage is. And they're just like first time housekeeping First time talking to guests, first time doing all this stuff, and it just wasn't going well. It was just, it it was insane. And of course, then it imploded. But, you know, for you to use that as an example, taking that into your early days and kind of creating a really good experience and having your guests set a right tone for them and kind of creating something different that wasn't just an air bed and breakfast potentially. What was that? What was that? I guess maybe early couple of months or maybe the first year where you guys were like, all right, let's keep doing this. And as you predicted, the Austin real estate market taking off and whatnot. Did you realize this was going to be a business or did you just keep it as a side hustle for a certain? It really was just a side hustle for probably the first three years, three to four years. And then it was like more intense, more investment on our side. We kind of doubled down personally, financially. And then it became a business. But I would say those early days, it was kind of this test and learn mentality of, ooh, do you think guests are going to like this? Like, so Home Away, they have this video series called Moment Makers. I don't know if I shared this with you, but I am part of video number one. It's Rena and Dan and our condo in Austin because we did this thing that others obviously do today now. I would say it's almost commonplace, but we would ask guests their favorite musician and then we would get from the Waterloo Record Store if we we had the opportunity to go in person. Otherwise, you could order online. But we would get records of one, that musician, but then two, the Austin musician equivalent. So somebody in a similar genre 
that is an Austin or Texas artist. And we would add those to the vinyl record collection there at the home. So the guests don't take it home with them, but they get to listen to it during their stay. And it became part of the kind of library and guests loved it. They absolutely loved it. And we found, so we shared kind of that story with HomeAway, but we would do other things like we love making waffles. Like waffles are a fabulous part of the day. And wouldn't you like yeah. to make waffles when you're traveling? It's like, oh yeah, let's do that. And we found that with a lot of the visits, when people stayed there, they were using the waffle maker. The waffle maker was out on the counter having been used. Like, okay, cool. They like that. Well, what about these other things? And so we kept testing. Okay, let's leave a little guest book. Maybe people want to leave a note. Maybe they don't. Maybe let's just try. And so it was a lot of, let's just see what happens. And it was fun because you get pretty real-time feedback, right? It isn't something that you like set and forget. And then a year later you ask like, do you want to renew the lease? <laughs> Instead, yeah. it's like, okay, you're here for two nights and you're going to give me one, like probably a review, but two, you're going to let me know something that you liked or didn't. And I can see how the home was used or not. And so you get that feedback to really quickly make changes, like to upgrade your bedding, to do different things in the kitchen, to experiment with what kind of welcome gift to, to leave. You have the opportunity to do a lot of iterations. And so mm -hmm. I feel like we took that kind of mentality of the test and learn. And then the second thing is we also have like technology data background. So my husband is one of my co-founders and both of us have MBAs and I also have a master of public policy, did linear programming, did a lot of kind of like hard math things. And we would approach it different from a traditional kind of second homeowner, et cetera, who would say, okay, I'm going to use Airbnb's dynamic pricing. And obviously there are so many off the shelf tools and there's a lot of different pricing tech out there, but we were doing it ourselves from the beginning because mm -hmm. we would look at traveler demand and different ways that manifests. We would kind of understand what is the value proposition of this unit? What is the seasonality? And so we also took this kind of data tech approach to what we were doing that I think was a little mm -hmm. bit different. And it became a bigger thing, like the bigger investment of our capital and our time is when we sold that unit. So it was one bedroom, one bath, small, awesome, small but mighty condo. But we sold that and then went all in on a larger property. And that was fully a rental. It was never somewhere for us to live for some period of time, right? And we actually never spent a night in that town before purchasing the wow. property. It was truly a data-based decision. And that's, I think, another theme that I have is I am comfortable with calculated risk, right? And mm -hmm. we found that, okay, we could go a lower price point and maybe have two rentals at a lower price point. And we looked at what we thought the return would be like, eh, not that great. And it's like, or we could have one unit that was much more expensive, but gets into this kind of higher tier inventory and higher willingness to spend, et cetera. And we're like, actually, that's where the money is at for us, for what we're doing. This is where the money is at. And that was a risk, but it paid off. And then from there, it was more people saying, oh, can you help me find? Can you help me run, et cetera? That's where it actually became a business. But we put our money and we did the things ourselves before trying to take investor money, before trying to scale. Like it was, I've pro I probably say this too many times, but I love the approach of like nail it before you scale it. So do it on a small scale. Do it yourself. Do it with your own capital if you are in a position to do so. Do it yourself 
work out some kinks and then go to that next stage. Don't go to the next stage and then try to figure it out because I think we've seen a lot of layoffs, a lot of bad customer experiences, a lot of like bad deal terms when people get a lot of activity or hype or funding, but they weren't necessarily ready for that moment. We would like to be ready for those moments. Totally agree. And man, that's there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm excited. <laughs> like you just gave me a whole bunch. I'm like writing notes so like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I one personal question slash selfish question. With the music and the vinyls, did you ever have anyone request Frank Sinatra? I need to, to that's interesting. I actually don't remember. I feel like I would remember if they had. It was more, yeah. I would say, contemporary artists or okay. kind of the primary ones, but Frank Sinatra would have been a great choice. Yes. I was like, man, if only Frank Sinatra was there, I'd probably be like, I'm taking this one home. We didn't really keep track. So it's like if some yeah. made their way in and some made their way out, it's all part of the experience. And what's funny is after we were doing it there at the condo, it's hard to scale something as high touch as that. But when There's we kind of stopped doing that and then we had all of these records ourselves, they kind of have sat idle. But we have kids now and our three-year-old, he loves vinyl records. He also loves cassette tapes. He, I'm, yeah. I'm show, showcasing the technology of my, my past, not necessarily vinyl records, but <laughs> he loves it. And so we've gone through and been listening to some of those that guests have, we had purchased for guests originally. And it's kind of cool that they have like this new life being listened to by a three-year-old. But yeah, anyway, vinyl records are very cool. That, that's so cool. I love that. It just, it just drives a little bit of that hospitality spirit in the sense of it's like a simple thing making yes. waffles and listening to Frank Sinatra like that for me is like man what a morning what a way to set the mood whether you're on a business trip or a personal trip and just like stuff like that it's like ah it's just so nice to reflect back and kind of go back to him so yes absolutely. selfishly I had to know if Frank Sinatra was included but <laughs> for that test and learn and kind of tying into the end point you made of nail it before you scale it so you guys gave yourself about three years to really play around with this property and see what works what didn't work and nail it before you scale it. Was that something you had learned previously from any type of ventures or did you really experience that nail it before you scale it in this venture? Yeah, it's a good question. I think because my husband and I, we actually started a soccer and academic nonprofit called City Football Club, City FC for short, back when we lived in Washington, D.C. And so we had experience trying to create something and seeing like the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. And then we both have had different entrepreneurial experiences as well. And so I think there's just a general curiosity as well as motivation or like restlessness to always do better that we have experienced personally and then professionally. And this was one of those areas that we then applied it to. And so I don't think that we were ever formally saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to approach it from this lens. Like we never had a formal view on it. It was more just how we operate. And I think that definitely continues today. But I think our curiosity and desire to do better and to keep learning and and that like learning to get the feedback and not everything that we did was great, right? Like there could have been things that we did where it's like, no, guests did not love that. Change it back. Like our openness to, hey, you're going to have some great ideas. You're going to have some ideas that do not go well. And you have to be open to listening to that and making changes. So never being too wedded to our ideas or thinking that we knew better than the guests. Like that's not a good position to put yourself in. And so I think just being open to what would actually happen. 
Definitely. And that's such a great answer and leads me up to my next question for you on the sense of, do you feel like you were born or made that way? Like through experiences mm-hmm. in childhood, like stuff, or were you just right out the gate? You were curious. Actually, and wanted to figure yeah. it out. I was asked this a little bit about entrepreneurship, whether it's something yeah. that you are born with or it is something that can be taught. And my perspective is the same on what we're talking about is I think that everyone possesses it. The question is whether it has been activated, right? Mm. And the activation, that can come from some type of foreseen function, some moment, different influences. So you could be really inspired. You can be really supported. You could have failed. You could have seen the opposite of what you wanted your life to be and been motivated in contrast. Like there's so many different ways that it could be activated. But I think for myself, it was activated early by seeing my parents incredibly hardworking and seeing their them as role models and seeing, okay, life is not easy. There is a lot that we cannot control. And with the space that I do have control over, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to keep trying, right? And so that kind of perspective and the same with entrepreneurship that no one ever used that term and I never would have applied it to myself for like decades. Like I was probably in my 20s when I was like, oh, that could be a thing that I am associated with because I always thought it was somebody who was different than me, who looked different. It just wasn't it wasn't applicable to me. And yet when I actually look back, there was this cleaning company that my siblings and I started. We were out in this neighborhood called Coor Gulch. We were the Coor Cleaners and we would like weed your lawn. like, <laughs> And we had little outfits. And I also did like a jewelry company with my cousin. I did these things because it was like, okay, we may not have a ton of resources in the household. So I didn't have like an allowance and great things like that, which lovely if you can get it. But I was like, if I want to have spending cash, I need to earn it. And so I'm going to do it. Also, I think it's cool to create things. And so I want to put things out in the world and see how I can be helpful, see what I can build. And so I think it was activated for me very early on, but I never even like formalized it as entrepreneurship or that kind of term until much later in life. Yeah. Well, it's very similar. I have the similar experience. Like I would sell art to neighbors and I did the lemonade stands and I bought candy in high school and sell it to all my friends at lunch for $3 more than I bought it for or whatever the thing was. Right. But no one exposed me to the word entrepreneurship. I looked at Amazon or these big skyscraping buildings and be like, Mm -hmm. that's just always been there. It's a corporation. They're a company, right? Like yes. never thinking that someone starts that. When did you get exposed to that word or that idea that entrepreneurship? Well, it's funny. Gen- I would have a similar experience to you that I would see companies as well as like wealthy individuals that had yeah. that. And I was like, we don't have a lot in common. So we <laughs> that is not going to be my path. But it was actually moving to Austin and we moved here in 2010. And the Austin startup community that Really, for me, I was introduced to through UT, through the University of Texas at Austin. And my now husband, Dan, he was involved. He got involved with a group called 3DS, which is three-day startup. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's three-day startups. They go to different academic institutions, et cetera. And you can basically launch a company or go through the steps of launching a company and understand entrepreneurship in a weekend. And we kind of got involved. And for me, it was about kind of being invited in and not having it be this intimidating, monolithic 
thing that didn't apply to me. Instead, it was like, hey, this is just a casual thing. Come on over. We've got this like wacky cast of characters and you could be part of it. And it was very welcoming. And that was the first time that I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it was also very different than what I had done because I had done international politics, public policy, nonprofits, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, ooh, technology, startups, like, ooh, I'm reading TechCrunch now. I'm doing these things. And part of me <laughs> felt like, okay, this is still somebody else. It's not me. It's somebody else. And it's cool that I'm learning about it. It's very interesting, but it's not me. And I would say it was, it took time to actually feel like, okay, this doesn't have to be some intimidating thing. It really is just, do you have a great idea? You can actually put that out into the world. Like you can do these things. You don't have to ask for permission. And so I think those things kind of came with time. Did you feel like it wasn't not like when you were saying it's not me, this is cool and it's fun, but it's mm -hmm. not me due to like maybe imposter, like imposter syndrome or just because like maybe even the sense of, you know, what people always say, comparison is a thief of joy. So like you're comparing yourself to these people who have started something or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, for me, like it was for me, it was literally that they didn't look like me and I didn't mm. have those types of role models. So just bluntly, it's a lot of males. <laughs> Yep. In tech, it's a lot of males in tech. It's a lot of males in business school. Those numbers are changing and yeah. had changed at a lot of great spots. But it was that it's these tech bros and I am not a tech bro. And so I really, it felt like something that you had to be part of that insider club to be a part of. And it took me actually getting to know some people and working on some startups to be like, oh, this is not scary. This isn't something that only, you know, people who study computer science can do. This is actually available for anyone who's willing to put in some hard work, right? And so it never has been kind of like with the idea of imposter syndrome. It's never that I didn't think I could do it. I just didn't necessarily think that it applied to me. Like, okay, well, it might be for other people. Like, Maybe you, you're talented, you can do great things, but maybe it just doesn't appear in this segment. And so I'm very grateful that was kind of demystified for me and that I had experience and people who were very welcoming to be like, no, this applies, like you can definitely do this. And for me now, I am very happy. I am involved at UT. There's this Kendra Scott, it's a long name, Kendra Scott Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute. They call it the KSWELI for short. And I've gotten involved with them and it's about helping female entrepreneurs. It's female leadership. And I love that there are generations growing up that are told you can be an entrepreneur, you can be a leader, you can be an entrepreneur. Here are the skills, here's the mindset, here, here are the tools that you need. And I would have loved to have grown up with something like that. I think it's so cool. 100%. And it kind of always ties. It's funny how you're saying these things. And I'm like, oh, reminds me of this. And for me, it was like, I my parents were pretty supportive. It was like, don't drop out of high school. Don't do drugs. Don't get anyone <laughs> pregnant. And like, life, well, life should be fine. Don't kill anyone. Yeah. And like, you'll be okay. And the sense or the, maybe the statement of follow your dreams, do what you're passionate mm -hmm. about. That's a great, I think, thing to instill in someone. But for me, I think it would have been very different. And I'm curious for you, if someone said, it's saying follow your dreams or you can do whatever you want that you're passionate about, actually using the word entrepreneur, you can create a company. If you have an idea, you can build it. You can That's execute right. on it. It doesn't have to be tech. It could be a service. It could mm -hmm. be like there's a lot of there's a lot of routes because, ch yeah, chase your dream. That's great. But what does that look like? And 
what do I do to chase my dream? What do I, how do I know what my dream is? And all that, is it okay if I fail? Like Mm -hmm. if I'm chasing my dream and I fail at it, then it's obviously not my dream. All these things go through your head, right? And so for you, was that something that was a a similar kind of transition of like, man, if someone just said, you know, be an entrepreneur, create a business, have an idea, execute systems, KPIs, whatever it might be, is that something very different for you? Or would you say it's very much in the same alignment? Yeah, I would have loved hearing those words when I was younger, because I think that, I mean, I saw my dad had actually a printing business. He ended up, his real career was over 20 years at the fire department, but he'd had a printing business. And so entrepreneurship is something that we actually had seen in my own family. And yet no one really said, like, you can build something. And I think that the general support of like, dream big and like you can go far and all that i think it's that is good but it is it's very vague it's quite general and it's like okay well what does that mean and i think my undergrad and my early career i was learning about and i was executing on how you work within a system right so from at that time it was international politics learn about the Bretton Woods system learn about these institutions who are the players what is the backstory how do they interact how would you interact if you were at an agency if you're at a nonprofit or you're a government entity you're blah 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 all of those different things it was about learning the system and then learning to work within the system it wasn't about creating something new and creating something new is hard that there is like inertia in the world, that it is the world wants things to be the way they've been, right? And so it's really hard to actually create something. And yet it's very satisfying. And you can make those decisions about how do we treat people? How do we create ourselves? How do we present ourselves in the world? How, what would it be like to be a customer of this product, service. Again, like you were saying, doesn't have to be tech. You don't have to be a coder. You don't have to be X, Y, and Z. And I think demystifying it and making it real and that it can be like you can have, you can build a coffee shop. You can build a consumer good. You can have a consulting business. You can have all of these different things and just letting, I would say giving clear examples of what that can be. And I would say, yeah, just the support on that as opposed to those kind of more general supportive terms. All right, Slick Talkers, now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast. I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fotts on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes, into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooke's book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at safely.com. 
Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days, you can get in instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the dynamic sponsor duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. Yeah, totally agree. Very well said. I had nothing else to add to that. That's like cherry on top of the cake right there for so going into. Okay, so you've nailed it before. You scale it. And now you guys are getting ready to scale. One, how did you come up with the name Boutique? Mm. What was the, I guess, pivotal moment where you guys really, because it's you, your husband, Dan, and you have Mm. one other co-founder, right? Two. So we've got our CTO, Tim Renner, and then our CFO, Eric Frodnax. Okay. So you're taking kind of what is... In the beginning, sounds like more of a real estate type of approach. We're like, all right, we're putting our capital here. We're going to build this mm-hmm. out and have it. And now you have tech and you have real estate and you have hospitality now all kind of combined. Where did that trio really become like, that's what we're going to do? Yeah. So it's something that before, I think we've been playing around with the word boutique, the name boutique. And I will give full credit to Dan on the name. And it <laughs> comes from the idea of a boutique hotel but then it's like a tech company. So you're definitely not going to spell it the way it should be. So that's where it comes from. That's where boutique comes from. And honestly, I love the name. I really love it because it's like, you want to stay at a boutique hotel and you want to stay at a boutique home, right? Like let's be boutique. And it really says it all that it's high quality, but it's custom, right? It's not cookie cutter. And I think that's really cool. I would say there's kind of two pivotal moments that I remember about that kind of that early okay, now let's make this formal. And one is we were in a conversation that ended up being an interview for Techstars. We went through the Techstars Austin program. We had a great experience, but we hadn't gone through the normal process of applying. So we were talking to the managing director and we thought it was to tell him about what we were working on, this idea that we had and that people have been asking us and what are some next steps for us to take as we're building this out. And kind of at the end of the conversation, he didn't formally offer because we had to do a few more. We had to jump through a few more hoops. But basically, he was like, I think you could be part of the next cohort. Like, would you want to do that? It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, both of us had full-time jobs. I was actually pregnant at the time. And so, like, what I mentioned about calculated risk, it's like, okay, are we going to do that? And in my life, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that opportunity and I'm going to give it the best chance possible. And it may not work out. We may go through this accelerator and end up having to kind of crawl back to some former jobs or reach out to people. It may not work, but I'm going to take that chance. And I think that Dan and I are very aligned on that. And then the second kind of moment I remember is because you talked about like bringing in tech, bringing in the different components. Our CTO, Tim Renner, is also a friend. And as we were doing boutique in the early days of our own properties, we were talking to Tim and we were saying, because his background is machine learning. He used to move satellites out of the way of space debris. He's very smart. He's very nice. (laughs) And we had always been talking to Tim and we were like, 
we sh we could work together on this boutique idea. And I remember we were at a Capital One cafe and it's like, okay, well, we just had this conversation and Techstars wants us to join. Like, Tim, what do you think? And it's like, that's awesome. Like, I'm in. Let's do it. I was like, okay, this is real. Like, we're going to do this. And then getting somebody, Eric Rodnex came a little bit later, but still one of the early co-founders, getting him involved was kind of that additional piece of legitimacy. This is somebody who is the president of CoStar, CoStar's Loopnet, excuse me, M, as well as their rural land group, lands.com. Wow. And so deep experience, very well-respected executive. It's like, okay, we're bringing somebody. This is real. We need to formalize it, get everything teed up, incorporate, do all of the things. And it was about, I would say, getting those the right people with the right skill sets. And I would say the people matter the most because you need to work well together and you can kind of pick up different skills. But the people matter the most. We also, thankfully, were able to get a good set of skills as we kind of rounded out the team. Well, especially you being so data-driven and calculated risk and having that three years of being able to play around with how did guests respond to this? What's the best system for check-in? How do I, like you already kind of, it's not like you're like, all right, we had this idea from a magazine paper that we read and we just went to Techstars and got funding and did this and now here we are. It's like mm -hmm. you literally played with it before it was even what has become boutique today. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when you say that, it reminds me about how there's people in pretty high up positions at some, let's just talk about the platforms. There's people in pretty high yeah. up positions at the platforms who have never hosted. Never. It's like, wow. Because <laughs> you really, you learn so much. Like the rubber meets the road in terms yeah. of actual experience. Feel what it is like. Feel what it's like to be on the guest side. Travel, like stay at different, a variety of places. We actually did this kind of like two week road trip with HomeAway where we stayed. It was, I won't go into all the backstory, but we did this like two week. We stayed at HomeAways across the US back in 2016 when I graduated. And we were kind of experimenting with testing instant book and doing things like that. And so it's like stay at a variety of places, but also host like see what guests are saying what are their concerns like how do you make those concerns better like how do you address them what are you finding at the house like you need to live it because then you're going to understand why you need certain tools certain policy certain whatever because you've experienced it personally right and so it's definitely like i think and it's an interesting question about whether if we hadn't done it ourselves if somebody kind of approached us with this idea we kind of go in but i think the authenticity of like having lived it and realize that, okay, there is something that we're doing is unique. Not everyone is doing it. And we, even if we tell people like, hey, invest in experience, use tech, blah, all of that, they aren't doing it. And so we kind of joke that in some ways it was this, never mind, I'll do it myself kind of business. Like, okay, we can tell you until the cows come home, all the things that you should do. But if you don't believe us and you're not going to put it into practice, it doesn't matter. So like, let's just do it. Like we know what needs to be done. We've experienced it. We have that background. So now let us execute on that. Let us build something because of that. Well, that's what I love about our, what feels like yesterday, but probably was like at least a month ago, pre-chat where you and I were talking about, you can even give the owner a, an idea of like, hey, we've vetted and screened and we've worked with this company before and they do really great work. Yeah, they're a little bit more pricier than this company who we haven't worked with before. They don't have the best reviews, isn't that? And then of course you say, 
we can get this done. This can be done tomorrow. And then this company will be done in like two weeks. And we need to get this done today, technically. Mm -hmm. And then the owner's like, ah, we're going to go with the cheaper one. And then you're like, oh my gosh, we've done this before though. Like, why why would you take that advice opposite? So I'm kind of curious. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also like system dynamics where you're supposed to take machinery offline for preventative maintenance. You got to do it. You got to take it off. You got to do your preventive maintenance. That's actually what allows you to be operating most profitably, the most uptime, et cetera. And yet people will say, I'm not going to do anything until it breaks. And that's yeah. a really bad philosophy. So it's like, it's just, it's funny because we, I think we think about in our business, the traveler psychology. So what is the traveler thinking about when they're making a booking decision? What's important to them? What's important to them during their stay, et cetera. But we're also thinking about the owner psychology. And sometimes the owner psychology is they want to do bad things. And it's for us, the onus is on us to help persuade, have policies, make our practices, demonstrate the better approaches, right? Which sometimes the psychology will tell you like, I want to do the thing that actually is not in my interest because it feels good momentarily. And for us, I would say that's one of the big challenges is trying to get people to kind of come along and to feel the buy-in with what we know are objectively the right decisions. And so I think that's definitely one of the things that the industry, I mean, everyone probably experiences that. But for us, it's about, okay, we know these are the right things to do and you'll actually get more of a benefit than any cost to do them. But how can we persuade people? And then how can we as a company, get away from others influencing those decisions, right? Let us exclusively do the things that are the right decisions. And so we're yeah. trying to move more and more toward that with how we approach structurally what we're doing. Well, and it's just so funny too, because then you probably saw this as well before signing an owner or having an investor come in for to buy property. And they're telling you this like, yeah, I love that. I love that we're going to take the property offline and do all the maintenance and work in like, I want this to be all profitable. And you're like, yes, sign on the dotted line Mm -hmm. right here. Let's go. Let's do it. They do it. The one little thing pops up and they're like, Oh no, $300, no way. I can't do it or whatever it is. And you're like, that's right. A week ago, you just told me you were all in for where did, what happened? And it's just, yeah, it's great talk, but then walking the walk, like as cheesy as it is, it's, but it's where, true. Where you it's yeah. true. And that's where as a company and kind of we began by working with traditional second homeowners because we're a new company. We didn't have a track record of what does it mean to be a boutique operated? Like how does our performance differ from a market comp? So we didn't have that. We had great backgrounds, interesting personal property use cases, et cetera. But we needed to build up that credibility and that track record. And so our goal from day one is of move up that kind of real estate funnel from the individual kind of second homeowner who's going to have personal use and wants to take it offline for the 4th of July, doesn't want to do the things that guests absolutely need, that the home maintenance absolutely needs. But let's start where we need to be, right? Start where we can and then move up to, okay, it's it's an LLC. It's a folks have purchased it. It's pure investment to then it's, okay, it's a real estate fund and working with more larger pools of real estate capital, more professional pools of real estate capital. I think that's one of the differences for us is we are not trying to be a property management company. We're trying to be a traveler brand and a real estate investment engine. 
And so we mm. want it to be the best guest experience and then the best place to put your passive income dollars. And so we want to work with those larger pools of passive real estate capital to deploy as opposed to get down into the weeds of like, oh, I don't want to buy that soap. It's like, you're buying the soap. Like, <laughs> yes, need it. It's going to happen. Like, I don't want to get into those. I want to do the things that are right for the traveler and that will deliver the investor return. Exactly. And it, it sounds and like I think a lot of people even listening or just people that we come in contact with at conferences or colleagues, however it is, we all get that. We see it on a day to day basis that the more you invest in the experience in the sense of buy the shampoo, buy the yeah. soap, have the smart lock, don't be weird and put cameras inside the yes. home or whatever it is, like yeah. just all these little things. And then you approach it to someone who hasn't lived it day to day or hasn't hosted or hasn't traveled in that. And they're just like, and there's a, I guess a side to both coins or a two-sided coin of the sense of, well, it's just numbers, it's just data. And to me, I see this being a subtraction rather than mm-hmm. a, a plus sign on my PNL or my R whatever they're yep. looking at. And they don't they're looking at now rather than at present the rather than the future. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. And yeah. it's also it's like that flywheel between the guest stay and the review and then your ability like where you show up in search how much you're able to charge all of that it's predicated on delivering a great experience and so you could fool somebody with a high price and beautiful photos but if you don't deliver a great experience you can't keep doing it it's short-sighted and i think that's the difference is short-sighted versus long-term value like we want to take the long-term value vision like that's what we want to be focused on we don't want to be focused on short-term moves that actually put you behind in the long term right yeah we may be in the short-term rental industry but we don't want to be short-sighted and we don't want to have that's exactly it yeah Yeah, they're short-term rentals but it's long-term value i love that man (laughs) i think that's the title of the episode today there we go i love it well i know people listening or even just watching like the live stream will be curious I want to know from you, how do you determine from a boutique side of the business to then the whoever you bring in or decide to work with, how do you find alignment in that? How do you actually make sure there's true alignment in the long-term value versus short-sightedness of kind of this whole industry that creates an ecosystem of longer ROI and better consistency and better guest experience? It's got to be hard. I'm sure you guys have run into so many people that have are 100% on board, but may not show their true colors until, you know, something shit hits the fan, right? Like, yeah, I'm curious, how do you really determine that alignment from your guys? Are you thinking the vendors, like the folks at the home or the team members for boutique, like general team or guest ops? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's interesting because you can, we've, I've talked about it with our, we have a really amazing head of operations, this guy, David Atlas. And we were talking just the other day because we basically want to give as many reasons to do the right thing and as many reasons for it to work well. And so that means like on the sourcing side for team members, for vendors, et cetera, like vet people well, do interviews, meet in person where possible. So do a good job on the sourcing, but then it's about let's have real processes, scalable, repeatable processes, documented. Let's have systems, let's have technology that makes it easy to follow the processes, to verify the processes, right? And let's do an additional layer of verification, kind of that trust, but verify. So 
how do you basically check the work of X, Y, and Z vendor? So coming up with a system for that verification, right? And then ensuring that you've got great communication tools, task management, all of those. But it's like, let's do all of the things to get to, yes, it was done well. Yes, we've got great people. Because you can't control all of it. And like some of those things will, it just depends on every situation, right? Maybe your sourcing really helped, but then your process wasn't great or the tech wasn't, didn't come in where it needed to. But it's like, if you can try to hit on as many of those as possible, it reduces the likelihood of a bad outcome. It can never prevent it because we're talking about humans, systems that fail, like homes that deteriorate and every, they're, I kind of talk about them like they're living and breathing organisms. They're not really living and breathing, but they have all of the ups and downs and the things that happen, whether it's the hot water going out, the Wi-Fi, plumbing, you name it, there's going to be issues and there's going to be a vendor who has a personal emergency, who's not going to be able to make it or who thinks that they did something, but actually that was for a different unit or whatever it might be that you can have the best of all of those, the sourcing, the processes, the tech, the verification, communication, all of that. And yet things can still break. So it's like, give as many reasons to say yes, but also have a system for finding other people and for acknowledging that things are going to happen. And it's about how do we deal with it? Because inevitably things are going to happen. And it's about, I think, making it clear to the guest, to the owner, to our investors, et cetera. Like, how did we deal with the situation that happened? And what did we do beforehand to get us to the best possible solution? Man, again, perfectly well said. I have nothing else to add to this. Great. Wow. So through all of this, you've gone through the tech stars piece and you're at where you guys are at today. A lot of obviously evolutions, right? Where it's continually to build and to, to mold itself. What, I guess, what are the things now, 2023, you've been through COVID, you've mm -hmm. been through, all, we've been through all this crazy stuff that's happened the last three years. What's maybe not next. I always hate the like, what's next? And like, what's the next sexy, shiny thing? But it's mm -hmm. really not next. It's what, what is, I guess, driving you guys for what's put continuing to push forward. And how are you guys thinking about what, you know, what type of innovation, what type of experience, what type of whatever, like what is driving the needle forward for BT? Uh, yeah, I would say if I put 2023 in one word for boutique, it's scale. It's mm -hmm. it is scaling. It is about scaling the team. It is about getting more properties. It is about defining the various components of brand and guest experience. It is about scale. It's okay. We've been doing it. We've hit on something special. We're very good at hitting and exceeding our forecast. We've got great guest reviews. Scale it. Okay. You've done it. Now you scale it. And so that's what our team conversations are about. That's what the partnerships that we're in conversation and some partnerships that we've signed are about. It is about scale. It is about distribution. It's about growing the team. And it's cool because there are fun things that kind of happen along the way. So just this week, we actually have a billboard in Times Square, not that we paid for as a smaller company, <laughs> but we are partnered with Brex. They are amazing. They have an incredible team and they literally fuel our growth. And so with one of the kind of partnerships that we did with Brex, they were able to do these billboards in Times Square. And so it's so cool to see the boutique logo, all of that. 
in Times Square. We're seeing video. I live in Austin, so I'm not seeing it in person. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just so cool to see from this, you know, little idea from this side hustle to see it get to that level. And I really loved earlier this year, just in March, talking on a South by Southwest panel about back mm. to the future of travel, short term rentals, that I love being able to communicate more what we're building, but also to talk about the industry, because I think it's so fascinating. And I also I think as many others, I get frustrated when I see bad regulation, when I see bad policies that aren't solving the intended problems, they're creating additional challenges and hurdles and making well, this is a legitimate way to earn income. It's a legitimate living. Yeah. And I also think that the basic premise of creating the beautiful, hospitable, well-supplied backdrop for people to make great memories when they're traveling, when they're staying in a different place. That is so cool. That's a good thing. Yeah. We all want to make memories with our friends and our family and to travel and do those things. And so to create that space in a standardized, consistent, professional way, that's awesome. Like, that's a really good thing. And so I get frustrated when I see things that, you know, put the industry behind that are short-sighted, et cetera. So I feel like I'm very passionate about the industry and I feel like where we are is we get to have a voice at the table as we yeah. are creating. We make the decisions about how we operate. And then that, as we grow, because it really is about scale, let's make those inroads and let's set the standard that we want others to have as well in the industry. So we're still small. I fully acknowledge that. But we can make a difference with how the industry is run and how guests are treated and how vendors are treated and team members, all of that. and so. As we're scaling, I think it's really exciting because we want to be a household name. When people travel with their friends and family, like stay at a boutique. We would love for that to be where we go. And it means that we're going to have a seat at the table when it comes to making these decisions about the industry. I love that. And the quote, my good friend, Dana Lubner from Rent Responsibly, it's having a seat at the table is great, but you have to bring your chair and you have to be yeah, ready. That's, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's such a great example because, you know, I forget how that quote came about, but I remember her telling me something about the sense of people are always like, we don't have our seat at the table here. We don't have our seat at the table there. It's like, and she said, well, bring your chair, like bring your chair and That's like, it. get like, you kind of got to show up. You got to show up to city council. You have to show up to the, maybe it. your chamber of commerce meetings and, you know, whatever else kind of uh, legislature kind of conversations mm -hmm. are going on. So. Yeah, you got to bring your table. You got to bring your chair. It's uh, a lot. Piece yeah, she's great. And if you haven't met her, I think you, you guys would be phenomenal friends. But to wrap up this episode, I gave you a little bit of a sneak peek of that. You know, we ask every guest before the guests of the recording to leave a question for them without knowing who they are. And so I'm going to tell you who, who asked your question. And it's been really fun to see this unplanned. I just give my booking link out and people book when they're best fit. So unplanned, Allison mm -hmm. Bailey from the Bailey Vacation Rentals out in Maine. She's 26 years old, very young, hungry entrepreneur. Her question for you, without knowing it was going to be you, is whenever you're down, what are the moments or even the memories, realities that you hold on to in order to kind of shift your mindset and reality of that kind of feeling that you're in? Oh, that's such a good question. I really like that. So hi, Bailey. 
I would say I actually I go two directions when I have when I'm feeling down, I go both forwards and backwards. And so the backwards mm. is I would say there's kind of those touchstone moments about like why do I think that what we're doing is something of value? So I was telling you, I think it is, but what are those moments? And so for myself, there was this family reunion that we did back in 2010, where the family went to Hawaii. We have some family there, but folks had never been out there to see the rest of the family. And it was one of the most incredible experiences. And we stayed at a home away. My dad actually booked it from Idaho, like booked this vacation <laughs> rental in 2010. And we stayed at the home. We like made meals together. We were in the pool. It, and some of those family members have passed away since then. And so I treasure that time that we had together. So I think about that. I think about we can deliver that for people. And that's like a huge touchstone. And then the second side is that I go backwards. I also go forward. So I think about, I have two kids. I have this great husband. I think about what we're building for our family and that this is something we want Boutique to have to exist and persist and to be successful. And so I think about what we are doing, the example we're setting and what we can build for our kids to see and for our kids to experience, right? And so I go both backwards and forwards if they're if I'm ever feeling down because I feel like I feel very good with both of those things. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. It says like look at where you've been and look at where you are to where you're going, and it's a good it's a good grounder. I think I love that. So for you, without knowing who's next, what would your question be to them? It could be personal, it could be business, it could be anything under the sun, but it was just a fun fun question that could. Be yeah. Up my question for the next the next guest would be what is the most satisfying thing they built or accomplished? And then what made it so satisfying? Because I think that's I just am always so curious about what drives people and what did they do that they feel really proud of and why? Yeah. And it's just I love it's something that I do interviewing for my undergrad. And I think that question about you can apply it to professional life, personal life. But I think that question it always elicits some really interesting responses. I totally agree. I can't wait to hear and see who answers that question next. But man, this has been so such like fun conversation. And we went down a lot of rabbit holes. I didn't think we actually would based off of our first conversation together. So this is actually really a pleasant, unexpected episode on the podcast. But I always like to end it with the final question of any of the listeners that truly just were like, man, I want to get to reach out or connect more outside of this podcast episode. Good one link outside of the, all the links that we're going to include in the show. Mm. Notes. One specific one. What would you want them to, to reference or use? Yeah, it would be my LinkedIn. I would say I'm pretty active on there and I try to be very responsive. And I know that I've used it to reach out to other people and <laughs> been very happy. Obviously, I've been blown off on a lot too, but I'm really happy when people respond because I found that sometimes it can be more effective than getting lost in an inbox because I would say with LinkedIn, there's like a personal, like there's a picture, there's a profile that can be attached and it just comes to life a little bit more. And so I would say I try to be responsive on there. So that's definitely the place that I would direct folks. Awesome. I love it. And I'll make sure everything's included in the show notes. So thank you again for this awesome conversation. And of course, for all of you Slick Talk listeners out there, make sure you like and subscribe everything to Boutique. And that if you are wanting to reach out and connect, that you go ahead and grab LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And of course, we'll see you all again next week. Thank you so much, Rena. It was great to have you on the podcast and I look forward to watching you guys scale and grow. Thank you, Will. I loved it. 
Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, possible. We hope you enjoy the show, and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content, or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. Thank you.